The following audio is from Living Acts Church in Tyler, Texas. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, www.livingactschurch.com, or you can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Living Acts Church. All right. Thank you, Andy. Good morning, church. How are we doing? Everyone well? Okay, I hope so. All right. Well, thank you. Yeah, as Andy said, my name is Patrick uh, Van Deventer. There's probably a few I may not actually have introduced myself to before. So I'm one of the elders at Living Acts Church. I do not preach often, uh, about once a year. So this is kind of my yearly elder dues uh, to get to come before you and preach. And it just so happens to be uh, I'm braving the coronavirus at the same time. So I'm very uh, humbled to see all those that came to worship with us here, and we're streaming on Facebook Live, which is kind of weird. Uh, so I guess you could say uh, this service has the potential to go viral in multiple ways <laughs> this morning. Sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't help it. Probably, probably not a good call. All right, well, if you, if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and start. We're going to continue in Luke chapter 4. Uh, This week, we've been going through a series in Luke, and you can turn to verse 31. And while you're turning there, um, Andy kind of mentioned this. Man, there was so much in in just the songs that we were singing and what Andy prayed and said that has just been resonating so much in my heart this week as as I've just studied and and really contemplated on this passage. And and, and one thing that that came to mind is that it's, it's one thing to say or to believe something, and it's an entirely different thing to, to actually do it. Um, any candidate running for office, uh, whether it's president or some kind of political office, you know, they make a lot of promises, right? That's the time when you, you promise the world, you get people to buy in, but it's a completely different thing uh, when they actually get elected to office, right? That's when, that's when uh, the proof meets the pudding or you get the opportunity to, to practice what you preach. And so, and everyone knows there's this constant tension between what we believe and what we do. And what we're going to see in the passage this morning is actually that Jesus does exactly that. He practices what he preaches. Um, so last week, we, we were in the previous section in Luke chapter 4 uh, that Kevin led us through. And we see that Jesus preaches just this crazy sermon, right? He stands up, he goes to his hometown of Nazareth. He stands up um, as, as the visiting preacher who had already built up quite a bit of fame at that point in time, and so they wanted to hear from him, and he preaches out of a passage in Isaiah about the Messiah, about the anointed one that would come to restore peace, uh, to bring about the kingdom of God, and he says in there uh, from Isaiah, uh, you know, to proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, give sight to the blind, and set free the oppressed. And then he closes it and he, and he sits down and says, today this passage has been fulfilled in your hearing. So in other words, hey, this Messiah that Isaiah is prophesying about, that's me. And, and actually at first, it's almost like there's a bit of, of shock and, and wonder. Um, they're just amazed. It's like, hey, isn't, this, isn't this Joseph? Like, isn't this the carpenter's son? And, and so he's almost sort of a sense of, of giving, getting a little hometown fan base there. But very quickly, things go and take a 180, right? Because he keeps going and he keeps preaching and he, and he starts to poke a little bit into the heart of his you know, little J- Jewish following there and points out that you know, really here's the truth that the Messiah that God has in mind is not the Messiah that you have in mind. 
right? And this Messiah, just like in the past, is going to go not to Israel. Actually, his own people are going to reject him, and he's going to go to the Gentiles. And gives examples of that in the Old Testament and how, hey, just like the other prophets, you're going to reject me. And it really makes them mad. And so they go from hometown fan base to angry mob really quickly and drag him to the top of a mountain to throw him off a cliff. But it says, I love this, he just passed through their midst and went away, which is crazy. Um, That would have been cool to see. Uh, So clearly it wasn't his time. He came to die, but obviously not that way. And so what we see this morning is what Jesus does next. He begins to do exactly what he said he was going to do, uh, which is to take the gospel, the good news of God's kingdom to the oppressed. He's going to authenticate his identity as the son of God, right? That's what was in question in the garden. That's what Satan tempted him with. If you're really the son of God, then turn this bread into stone. If you're really the son of God, throw yourself off the temple. It's what he proclaimed from Isaiah and it's what he's gonna prove in the passage this morning as he begins his ministry on earth. So with that, um, please stand with me and we're gonna read through the passage for this morning in Luke 4, beginning in verse 31 down through 44. And when he went down to Capernaum, a city in Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve him. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought him to them, brought them to him, And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him, and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So the main point, I think, that Luke is getting across as he writes this narrative about Jesus is that Jesus makes it clear that he is who he says he is, and that is really good news. And so what I want to do this morning is just to point out three things that become very clear about Jesus and his ministry. First is the authority of Jesus, then the heart of Jesus, and lastly, the mission of Jesus. 
And so in your notes, you can kind of follow along with that. We're just going to hit them one at a time, uh, beginning with the authority of Jesus. So if you look back to verse 31, when it says, he went down to Capernaum, that's my little, I've heard it said by someone who knew um, Hebrew. <laughs> so I don't, I don't have a, like a legit cough or anything. <clears throat> and it says, he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And so the first thing we see is that Jesus possessed authority in his teaching. Uh, he has, was, was wildly popular at this point, and one of the things about the way he taught was it was just very different than anyone else who was teaching at this point in time. When Jesus taught, it wasn't like other rabbis who would just sort of pull commentary from other rabbis and maybe weigh what different people said and different opinions and kind of share what they think uh, is, is the right way to interpret. Jesus would preach from the word of God and then say, you have heard this, but I tell you this. Like he, he, he spoke with the very authority of God himself, uh, which must have been just very amazing and eye-opening at the time. Uh, but the question that uh, you know, we have to ask ourselves is where did that authority come from? And really we see multiple times in this passage that we get some clues from, from the demons first. So continuing in verse 33, and in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon and he cried out with a loud voice, ha, I don't know how, really how he said that, sorry. It's probably way more dramatic. Actually that word has like fear and fright associated with it. So the demons were trembling. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? So they were thrown off by daylight savings time or something. Apparently they weren't quite sure of, of what point in the ages this was. Like maybe this is the final throwdown where we're just done. Um, so clearly there's a little confusion there. But what they're not confused on is this. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And further down, when the multitudes are coming to Jesus and being healed, it says also um, in verse 41 that demons came out of many crying, you are the son of God. And so what we see is that his authority came from his identity as the son of God, which is as mentioned what was in question in the wilderness. And we see that his authority came from his identity as the son of God. So he's not merely a good teacher. He's not merely one with knowledge. He's one with authority who deserves not only our attention, but obedience and worship. Later in Luke 9, when he's on the Mount of Transfiguration, the voice of God booms from the sky, and he says, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And so in this passage, that's exactly uh, what we see the demons do. They obey him. Continuing in verse 35, it says, but Jesus rebuked him, <clears throat> saying, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went into every place in the surrounding region. And what I love about this is that he shows his identity and he demonstrates his authority over the demons. He says, come out, be silent and come out. And there's just no counter argument to that, right? There's no throwdown. there's no struggle. They just shut their mouth and they do what he says, 
And to be honest, I kind of wish it worked that way at home sometimes with the kids, you know? Like if I could just say, be silent, get out of here, and they do it, that would be amazing. Like I don't even have that power over my own kids, but he clearly has that power over demons. That would be, sometimes I'll accuse my kids of, of being like demons, but what I probably need to be is like, hey, keep it biblical. If you're gonna be like a demon, be like the demons of the Bible, please. Get out of here. I think that would be awesome. But yeah, the point is that we see him just demonstrate his authority over this realm that is um, incredibly powerful, but he is greater. Continuing in verse 36, they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word for with authority and power he commands unclean spirits and they come out? And so the reason we need a savior with real power is because our flesh is helpless under the power and the rule of the devil on our own. I'm no expert in spiritual warfare, but I know there is real power uh, in, in uh, demons exist, and there's real power in, in, in that realm. In Ephesians 6.12, Paul says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And even elsewhere, the devil's referred to as the god of this age, the prince of the power of the air, a lion roaming about seeking to devour. So we know his works are real, but we see Jesus here and all throughout the scriptures exercise just complete authority over him. And so I think we can get great encouragement from that um, because no matter what Satan has uh, conjured up, uh, we know that Jesus is greater we know that Satan works through lies, through manipulation, um, through deception, condemnation, all of that. We know that Jesus is greater. And he said that the Son of Man has come to give life and life in abundance. And so because he is the only Son of God, he has the power and authority to do just that. Let's keep reading. Go into verse 38 says, and he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house, or Peter. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. So there's, I'm going to go ahead and stop right there. There's several things uh, I want to point out in this little section. Um, but the first thing is that we see that uh, Jesus has not only power over the demons, but he also has power over sickness, uh, which is, as Andy pointed out, is kind of cool that we're, you know, scheduled to be talking about this verse um, based on the last 168 hours, um, which is, for those of you who don't know, is a week. I'm an engineer and I know things like that. Um, even this last 72 hours, which is three days, which is crazy. Things have really taken a turn with this whole coronavirus thing. And, and believe me, I have my conspiracy theories too. I mean, I think the Charmin bear is probably behind all of it, <laughs> given what's happening. Um, but, the, but what we see here is that, you know, even what's going on in the world now, with all of our just enlightenment and technological advancement and control and economies and power and all of that, something that is invisible to the eye, literally a microscopic organism, 
can just crumble it like that. I mean, entire governments are being shut down and, and, and parts of the world are just coming to a screeching halt over something that you know, we just can't even see. I mean, isn't that crazy? But what we see here is that Jesus with a word has absolute authority over all of that, right? Colossians 3.16 through 17 says, for by him, referring to Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So he's the Lord of the universe. He's the Lord at the galaxy level, the like demon person level, at the microscopic level, if you're a Marvel fan, at the quantum level. He's like Ant-Man, he can go subatomic, except he's not out of control down there. He's perfectly in control at that level, which is cool. Um, and so we see his authority over this. Um, but one of the things I also want to point out in just the context of Luke that we're reading about here is the people he's ministering to. And so back, especially in the first century during this time, the predominant view was that people who were demon-possessed or people who were chronically sick, uh, were it, it, was, it was due either to your sin or maybe your parents' sin. And that's kind of the debate at the time, like whose sin is it? Um, but it, you, know, you were basically categorized into this group of people who were outcasts and called sinners. They called them sinners, right? That's, that's that group, and they were, they were pushed away. And that was one of the really offensive things about the fact that Jesus said, I'm the Messiah, and he clearly goes and begins to minister to these people. Um, but the reasons that that is significant is because I think Luke is, is telling us something here. Jesus is showing us something here that this isn't just about healing a cold or a virus. This is about sin. This is about the real things that make us unclean. And we see Jesus boldly and compassionately go to minister to this group of people. And the point is, is that he has come to free us not only from, from those things, but ultimately from the effects of sin and darkness forever. And later uh, in Luke, we see a really clear example of this. You know, you're familiar with the story of the paralytic where Jesus is teaching in a house and it's way too crowded, so they're trying to figure out how do we get our friend to Jesus so we can be healed, and so they lower him down through the roof, and what does Jesus say? Your sins are forgiven. And that offends people there because they're like, who can forgive sins but God? And Jesus is like, exactly. But then, but then he says, so that you know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, go ahead, get up, get off your mat, and walk. Um, so, so the two are very, very closely related. And, and I think that's the encouragement that we can get here. And, and also, just with all the concern over this pandemic, uh, we have to acknowledge and remind ourselves and the world um, that we have something much more deadly than a virus going about. I mean, could you imagine with the amount of attention and just freak out that the world is getting over a virus, if they understood the extent of sin, if they understood the extent of what sin does, and what it is doing, what it can do. I mean, talk about the alarms that would be raised, right? And talk about the opportunity now to just think about that and point that out. Without intervention with sin, there is no hope. So all this quarantining and social distancing, uh, that will do nothing to absolve you of your sin. Actually do worse than that. Uh, it will never fix our sin problem. Only Jesus can do that. Only 
the cross where Jesus absorbed the punishment for that sin can we find our remedy for that sin. And so we run to him. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 through 9 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So isn't that just beautiful? And the thing about sin, the thing about Satan, is that when we actually feel our sin, we have this tendency to actually want to withdraw you know, from the Lord. We feel like, I mean, is that, am I, am I the only one? You want to withdraw from the Lord? I mean, community and just meeting with Christians and, and all that just becomes like less comfortable, uh, which is crazy because we see that like Jesus never uh, shows any hesitancy about being near to brokenness, right? He, he goes after brokenness. He never turns away. And we see in John, it's like it's actually when we come together, it's actually when we come together and seek Jesus together and confess our sin, like that's where we find healing, and so be encouraged in that. Be encouraged in Jesus is the remedy for this problem in this season. So we see clearly that Jesus just expresses and we, we see the authority of Jesus in this passage all over the place and that gives us great comfort. Um, but we also see, and the next two will go a little bit quicker, uh, we also see next about the heart of Jesus. And I think if we just take a step back on what's going on here, um, we see that Jesus' ministry is incredibly great news for us in the world. And the main thing I want to point out is just the fact that he clearly displays that he intends to use his power for our good. I mean, which is, which is not just an assumption to make. Because to be honest, it's like the God of the universe, the God of all power, all authority. He's also the great and just judge. And to be honest, he, had every, he has every right to come and, and use his power to put down a fist of, of judgment. He really does. But at, in this time, in this space we live in, both in this passage and, and as long as this age last, lasts, this is an age of mercy. Like he comes and he approaches and shows clearly that God intends to use his power for our good. He approaches the sick. He is gentle. He's a humble servant. He lays his life down. He gets near to brokenness, which I think is an encouragement for all of us. In verse 40, it says, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And I'm assuming that was probably not a fist bump. I'm not for sure. But he just like confidently approaches them and it says he heals every one of them, which is too, I think, just a, kind of some insight into his heart. Jesus and his heart is to heal all those who come to him. We see John 3:16 through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And so I, I believe, look, I believe God is fully sovereign over salvation, all aspects of it. 
but I also see that he never turns one away. That there's just no confusion over that. When someone comes to the Lord for healing, for forgiveness, for mercy and brokenness, like he never pushes brokenness away. And so I think we can be encouraged in that that's his heart. I mean, he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And, and with, with healing specifically even, we know that, man, it's just ask. It's never, ah, do you want to heal this? I mean, should I ask? And he's like, don't even ask. I mean, that just never happens, right, in the New Testament. Um, it's ask. We don't know. I know the answer is yes. It's just when, right, with, with regards to healing. It's when. And for the Christian, it's always yes. We will get healing. Um, it's either now or later. Um, but it's always eternally. And so we can be encouraged to ask. And in fact, uh, one of the things I love about this passage is we see this beautiful example uh, in verse 38 of what intercessory prayer is all about. Whenever Jesus enters into Simon's mother-in-law's house, it says that they appealed to him on her behalf. There was just this desperation on her behalf. They weren't the ones sick. They appealed to Jesus. Like, we know, we know who you are. We know that you have great power. You have the authority of God. You can do something about this. What an incredible picture of intercessory prayer. And so it's because his power and heart that we have confidence to pray and to intercede for others. Because of his power, we know that nothing is too big for Jesus. And because of his heart, we know that no one is off limits for him. And so we see the heart of Jesus, and we keep reading, and, and we also see a glimpse into the mission of Jesus. So continuing in verse 41 to the end of our passage this morning, it says, And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went out into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him, and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. One of the things I really love about Jesus is he's just this perfect harmony of mission and mercy, right? He never sacrifices one for the other. He's just this perfect unity of them. He doesn't neglect the brokenness and needy around him, yet he is laser focused on God's mission, on God's purpose, and on the gospel. Um, I, crowds were constantly pressing around him, and I know that that, is, that was probably not a convenient thing in, in many ways. He had to fight for time to seek the Father and to pray. They ran into trouble with food and just the practical things of life because of ministry, and, and you just see that, that Jesus never hesitates at that. He stays focus. He stays compassionate. Even the demons. So it says, um, you know, both times when the demons cried out um, about who he was, he tells them to be silent. I mean, even it's, it's, it says because they knew he was the Christ. So because they knew he was the Christ, he told them to be silent. Like, Shh, you know, hey, keep, keep a wrap on it. And, and that wasn't because he was trying to avoid people knowing who he was. Um, or to avoid his mission. Rather, he was protecting those things because the demons were very early on dialed into something that really apparently no one else was. E even Jesus' own disciples, like it takes them a really long time to get it, but the demons just know right away, right? And, and that is that, that he has come as the Christ. He has come, and he's got a long road ahead of him, 
to the cross, but it's not time yet. What, what, what the people would want to do is to crown him as the Messiah King that they wanted him to be. Like this is the king they're looking for, but that's not the king he came to be. He came as the suffering servant. As he says, not to be served, but to serve and offer his life as a ransom for many. And he would not let the demons short circuit that. And so he knew ultimately that what people need is the gospel. What people need is him forever. And that's the point. Verse 43, he said, I, look, I, they would have held him back, but I've got to go preach to more. I've got to go preach the good news of the kingdom to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And lastly, the last thing I think we can, we can just contemplate on and see in this passage is that we're reminded that Jesus has a mission, but we can join him in that mission by using our gifts for the good of others. Notice the first thing that Peter's mother-in-law does when she's healed is it says, when her fever left her, immediately she rose and began to serve, which I think is just cool. There's this uh, period in there sometimes that it feels like if I could just become a little bit more mature and comfortable, I can start serving or showing the love of Jesus. But she just goes right away and does it. Paul says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And so she displays her gifts through the gift of hospitality. You know, I don't know, like, what are your gifts? What are your gifts? What ways and what things have, has God given you talents or abilities as a means of serving and building up the body of Christ and in this time to show the love of Jesus? And notice also that when the multitudes bring all those who were sick with various diseases, it says they, they brought them to him. So there were people involved. There were people involved in the process. And you see that all over the place in the scriptures of bringing those who were hurting to Jesus. And so I think that's something just to think about in general. That's something also to think about in the midst of those around us, as Andy pointed out in our neighbors uh, with this whole coronavirus thing is that as Christians, we're not responding to this thing out of fear. <laughs> I mean, we need to use wisdom. We need to do all of that. But this is an opportunity to respond to all the confusion and chaos and fear with, with love and the gospel. Those are our motivations. And so, for example, um, you know, we, like, resist the urge to just go buy up stuff, right? Resist the urge. You know, on, on the contrary, if, if, if someone in your neighborhood, if there's an elderly, like go ask them if, if you can go and try to get supplies for them or groceries for them because they may be un, uncomfortable going to the grocery store. And, and nobody knows how long this is going to last, but you know, if hospitals jam up and if grocery stores have empty shelves for a long time and you find yourself with, with extra, like there's probably going to be opportunity to, to, to share, right? especially with the household of God, but to be very open-handed and sacrificial. So uh, those are just a couple examples of these are opportunities to show the tangible love of Jesus to others and God's wisdom so to bring others nearer to Jesus, not drive them away. And so in conclusion, Jesus makes it clear that he is who he says he is, and that's really good news. We see his authority as the son of God, the all-powerful creator and sustainer of the universe who exercises his authority over all creation, every spiritual power of darkness 
even sickness. And we see our Messiah King use his power for our good. And because of his power and heart of compassion, we're encouraged to boldly approach him in prayer for ourselves and others and to join him on his mission to take the gospel of the good news of his kingdom to all people. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're just in awe of who you are. We're in awe that you do what you say you're going to do, that you're the unchanging one. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever, and there is no falsehood in you. It's impossible for you to lie. Jesus, we thank you so much for your might, your power, your compassion and mercy. God, we pray that we would be drawn into you deeper. We pray that uh, for those who are fearful, that you might use us as an opportunity to cast away all fear with the perfect love of God. Please use us for that. Please protect us. And please glorify your name above all else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on Living Acts Church, please visit our website, www.livingactschurch.com, or you can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Church.